Welcome to Hallowed, Exploring the Lives of the Saints, Episode 21, Our Valentine. I'm your host, Tom Thorne, and in this podcast, I'll be taking you on a journey through the lives, adventures, trials, and triumphs of the great heroes of the Christian faith. Today, in an episode I'd like to dedicate to my lovely fiancée, we'll be talking about a saint whose feast day is fast approaching. A man we've all heard of, but most of us know very little about. The Christian martyr and patron of lovers, Saint Valentine. Right off the bat, I'll admit that this is probably the trickiest case I've ever tackled on this show. When you dig below the surface, you soon encounter a strange difficulty about one of the church's most famous saints. The difficulty being that there isn't just one Saint Valentine from the early church, but several. In fact, there are over ten saints named Valentine recognized by the Catholic Church. Not surprising, given that the name Valentinus, meaning strong, was a common Latin name in the late Roman Empire. But don't worry, we're not going through all of them today. There are only three candidates for the quote-unquote real St. Valentine, the one we think of when we say that name, and keep the feast on the 14th of February. The first was a Roman priest, martyred in the middle of the 3rd century. The second was a bishop of the Italian city of Terni in Umbria. And the third was a North African, martyred with a group of companions. We know next to nothing about the last, so we can rule him out for now. And there's good reason to think that the first two, the Roman priest and the Italian bishop, were probably the same person as their stories align and are mutually compatible. So working on that assumption, it's the Italian-Roman Valentine, Saint Valentine, Bishop of Terni, martyred at Rome, whom we'll be talking about today. The earliest account of this Valentine comes to us from the 8th century, but it's very likely older, Still a long time after his death, so perhaps not too accurate, but it shows us the traditions that had grown up around St. Valentine of Terni in the centuries after his martyrdom. This text, known as The Passion of St. Valentine, is almost entirely concerned with the story of Valentine curing the son of a pagan and convincing the father to convert to Christianity. Other tales from the early Middle Ages likewise focus on his healing abilities, such as when he restored sight to the blind daughter of a Roman judge, or, in later accounts, the daughter of his own jailer, as he was awaiting execution. But these early accounts make no mention of romance. That, as we'll see, is a later connection. Our Valentine is thought to have been martyred in the year 269, on the orders of the pagan emperor Claudius Gothicus, not to be confused with the earlier Claudius of I. Claudius fame. 
Other tales give a slightly different date, but it was definitely sometime in the middle of the 3rd century. The backdrop was the chaos of the 3rd century, when the Roman Empire was being torn apart by civil wars, plagues, and barbarian invasions. If you'd like to hear more about this dramatic time, you can listen to episode 1 on St. George. Claudius Gothicus, named for his victories over the barbarian tribe known as Goths, was one of the soldier emperors of this period. Rulers who spent their reigns on campaign, fighting for survival against the empire's many foes. Like several other pagan emperors of his day, he may have used the Christian minority as a scapegoat to explain the ills of Rome. But the story of Claudius Gothicus ordering Valentine's death was written down long after the fact, so we can't entirely be sure. Other legends about Valentine developed over the course of the Middle Ages, possibly grounded in older oral traditions going back to his earthly life, or possibly made up by later generations. It's hard to say. Whether you believe them or not, these medieval myths transformed Valentine from a historical martyr into a patron saint of love. The most important of these is the story that Valentine performed secret weddings for Christians who would otherwise have been drafted into the Roman army. For most of the empire's history, soldiers had been forbidden from marrying, as the emperors feared that married soldiers would not be loyal to the army alone. By the 3rd century, this custom, along with many other aspects of military discipline, had been abandoned. So I'm not sure that this story makes a lot of sense historically. All the same, according to this medieval tale, Valentine was caught performing secret marriages and dragged before Claudius Gothicus. The emperor was initially willing to let him go, but when Valentine tried to convert him to Christianity, the emperor flew into a rage and had him beaten to death before the Flaminian Gates on the northern outskirts of Rome. Whether or not it was true, the site had become associated with Valentine by the medieval period, with the gate itself being renamed in the saint's honor. Today, it's known as the Porta del Popolo, the People's Gate. A variation on this story says that when Valentine was performing these marriages, he would give the couples pieces of parchment in the shapes of hearts as tokens of their holy vows. It's tempting to consider this the origin of the Valentine's Day heart. But the story is so late that, again, we can't say for sure. I think it's more likely that these stories casting Valentine as the patron of lovers were written after his feast day had become a festival of love. That is, in the late Middle Ages. St. Valentine's Day has been tied to romance since at least the 14th century, when medieval Christians began to treat it as a chance to celebrate their lovers with letters and poems. 
Our first example is a 14th century poem called The Parliaments of Fowls by Geoffrey Chaucer, author of the more famous Canterbury Tales, which uses the courtship of birds around St. Valentine's Day as an allegory for human lovers. Here's an excerpt, translated into modern English by A.S. Klein. Quote, For this was on St. Valentine's Day, when every fowl comes there his mate to take, of every species that men know, I say, and then so huge a crowd did they make, that earth and sea and tree and every lake was so full that there was scarcely space for me to stand. So full was all the place. End quote. One of the first surviving Valentine letters comes down to us from the 15th century, written by an English gentlewoman named Marjorie Bruce to her fiancé, John Paston. Here's the full letter, translated into modern English, with some old-fashioned phrasing, by the British Library. Quotes, Unto my right well-beloved Valentine, John Paston, Squire, be this bill delivered. Right reverent and worshipful and my right well-beloved Valentine, I recommend me unto you full-heartedly, desiring to hear of your welfare, which I beseech Almighty God long for to preserve unto his pleasure and your heart's desire. And if it pleases you to hear of my welfare, I am not in good health of body nor of hearts, nor shall I be till I hear from you. For there knows no creature what pain that I endure, and even on the pain of death I would reveal no more. And my lady, my mother, hath labored the matter to my father full diligently, but she can no more get than you already know of, for which God knoweth that I am full sorry. But if you love me, as I trust verily that you do, you will not leave me, therefore. For even if you had not half the livelihood that you have, for to do the greatest labor that any woman alive might, I would not forsake you. And if you command me to keep me true wherever I go, indeed I will do all my might, you to love, and never anyone else. And if my friends say that I do amiss, they shall not stop me from doing so. My heart me bids evermore to love you truly over all earthly things. And if they be never so angry, I trust it shall be better in time coming. No more to you at this time, but the Holy Trinity have you in keeping. And I beseech you that this bill be not seen by any non-earthly creature, save only yourself. And this letter was written at Topcroft with a full heavy heart, by your own. Marjorie Bruce. End quote. Show that to anyone who says people in the past never married for love. Incidentally, John and Marjorie Paston's son, William, would grow up to be a courtier in the reign of Henry VIII, attending the king's famous meeting with Francis I of France near Calais on the field of cloth of gold in 1520. But that's just an aside for the Tudor fans among you. By now, we've seen enough to correct a mistaken belief that you may have heard about Valentine's Day. 
the idea that it evolved out of the pagan festival of Lupercalia. For those not obsessed with ancient history, Lupercalia was a Roman fertility festival held in mid-February to mark the turn of spring. During this time, young men belonging to a special wolf cult known as the Luperci would strip naked and run around Rome wielding scourges torn from the flesh of a sacrificial goat. Young women would apparently jump in their way, as it was believed that getting whipped by a Lupercalian cultist could help you get pregnant. Yeah, really. Strange as it sounds, this was actually seen as a purification rite. In fact, the name of the month, February, comes from the Latin for purging. It was basically a weird form of spring cleaning, as we'd now say. Anyway, the festival of Lupercalia persisted for about a century after the conversion of the Roman Empire to Christianity. Both church and civil authorities made many attempts to suppress these pagan superstitions, and by the late 5th century, that is, by the time the empire had fallen, they had largely succeeded, as shown in the works of Pope St. Galatius I. Gone were the sacrifices and scourgings of the old Lupercalia. All that remained by Galatius' day were a bunch of young men stripping naked and running through the streets singing bawdry songs. In other words, Lupercalia had degenerated from a pagan religious ceremony to an excuse to act like an idiot. Even that was too much for the Pope, of course, who forbade Christians from taking part in these acts of what we now call public indecency. And that, so far as I can tell, is the last we hear of Lupercalia. After the age of Galatius, it seems to have disappeared altogether. It should be obvious why most modern historians reject the notion that Lupercalia gave rise to St. Valentine's Day. Aside from a superficial connection to sex and fertility, the two feasts have hardly anything in common. The details simply don't match up, and there's not a shred of evidence to support the claim that Pope Galatius instituted Valentine's Day as a replacement for Lupercalia, as you'll sometimes read on the internet. On top of that, there's also an enormous time gap of about 900 years between the abolition of Lupercalia in the 5th century and the romantic flowering of Valentine's Day in the 14th. If they were related, we'd expect to see some connection between Valentine's Day and the ancient fertility rites in the intervening centuries, but we don't. While there are plenty of holidays that have blended Christian and pagan customs, Christmas, Easter, and Halloween being the most obvious, Valentine's Day does not appear to be one of them. I think there is some common ground between Valentine's Day and Lupercalia, but it's natural rather than historical. In most of Europe, mid-February marks the beginning of the transition from winter into spring. As Chaucer reminded us in the Parliament of Fowl's poem, that's often when birds begin to mate. 
so it makes sense that people have associated this time of year with love, sex, and fertility for many hundreds, indeed thousands, of years. Why St. Valentine was chosen for this purpose, as opposed to other mid-February saints, remains a bit of a mystery. But over the course of the Middle Ages, he came to be seen as a patron of lovers. From a Catholic point of view, that's great. The veneration of saints is a living tradition, not an exercise in historical pedantry. Whether or not the historical St. Valentine had anything to do with marriage, as the medieval legends say, the real saint, who's now in heaven, has been receiving and answering the prayers of lovers since at least the late Middle Ages. If that doesn't make him a patron of love, then I don't know what would. Like George and the Dragon, and many other medieval myths, the legend of the Valentine who blessed Christian couples in marriage against the hostility of the pagan states is a lively tale for our own times. It should go without saying that in the year of our Lord 2023, the powers of this world are opposed to Christian marriage. The legal, academic, and cultural establishments of most Western nations are actively arrayed against the Christian ideal of an indissoluble union between a man and a woman for bringing life into the world and growing in faithful love. In the face of a hostile world, Christian couples should find strength in the prayers of St. Valentine. We can all count on his aid in fostering a love that's faithful, fruitful, and forever. Before we go, I'd like to clear up one other point of confusion about St. Valentine that you may have come across. In 1969, following the reforms of the Second Vatican Council, Pope St. Paul VI issued a revision to the general Roman calendar, the calendar containing universal holy days for use in the Catholic liturgy. In the revised calendar, St. Valentine's Day was removed from the 14th of February, owing to the identity issues I mentioned at the start of today's episode. Because there are several contenders for the quote-unquote real Valentine, and we're not entirely sure which one is which, the Church no longer maintains Valentine's Day as a universal holy day across the entire world. But at a local level, Individual dioceses are free to keep Valentine's Day in their own liturgies, as are Latin Mass communities, which follow the pre-1969 liturgical calendar. And even though his feast day is no longer celebrated universally, Valentine is obviously still a saint. He's included, for example, in the Roman Martyrology, the closest thing to an official list of saints maintained by the Catholic Church. So don't let anyone tell you that St. Valentine has been decanonized or anything so ridiculous. The Church doesn't do that. Once you're a canonized saint, you're always a canonized saint. Whatever may happen to your feast day on the general Roman calendar. 
I hope that dispels any confusion. St. Valentine is commemorated, of course, on the 14th of February in the Catholic Church, and on the 6th of July in Eastern Orthodoxy. He's become the patron of many causes down the centuries, including beekeepers, epileptics, and travelers, in addition to lovers, engaged couples, and happy marriages. If you're up for a pilgrimage, you can venerate his relics in churches around the world. His skull rests in Rome, his bones are in the Birmingham Oratory, and a smear of his blood can be found in Dublin. As always, I've included links to prayers and other resources in the show notes, so you can deepen your own devotion. May St. Valentine, holy martyr and patron of lovers, come to our aid now and always for the greater glory of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Happy Valentine's Day.